I didn't put a sponsor on for this episode, but I wanted to ask that if you are enjoying it, please send it out to your friends and leave a review on whatever platform you're using, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google, whatever you're using. Help me out by letting others know about it. Thank you. Welcome to No Green Eggs and Ham, a podcast about nothing and everything. It's not a show where we take jabs at the infamous Dr. Seuss, but where we dive into topics like art, weird inventions, pop culture, and anything having to do with cubby-wubby womb room tea. So throw on some clothes. Grab a coffee and ignore your responsibilities as you listen to the Just OK Sounds of your host, me, Sam I Am. Here we go. When are we going to start recording? You're supposed to tell me. I didn't know we're going to start now. No. All you're doing is eating a piece of bread. You didn't even toast it. Can you toast that piece of bread, please? It's ridiculous. Hey, everybody. Um, today, I am going to read another one of my submissions for a writing prompt. And I'm really excited about this one because as soon as I read it, I immediately thought it was something incredibly creative and funny. And here's the writing prompt. Miraculously, you find yourself at the hide-and-seek world championships. The competition at this level is legendary. You start reading from the sign-up sheet and see names you didn't expect. Nessie, Bigfoot, and the myth himself, Waldo. That writing prompt was actually taken from Reddit. Uh, The user's name is Bearded Muggle. And as soon as I read it, I loved it. I thought the, the concept of a game about hide-and-seek at a world championship level, I thought it was hilarious. And uh, I immediately came up with something. I gave this to our Breakwater crew to do, and some people came up with things. And I got so pumped up with it that uh, I do plan on actually making it more of a story. But for the sake of the podcast, and because I haven't even started yet, this is my submission. And uh, I hope you like it. Again, forgive the grammar issues. I'm sure there are some. This was done uh, over a year ago, and it was uh, off the off the cuff. It wasn't edited. Bigfoot, Waldo, where am I? Thought Simon as he looked up from the sign-up sheet and glanced around the enormous convention center. Hundreds of people, all in cosplay, were riddled throughout the floor, admiring one another, checking out booths with merchandise, and taking pictures with their favorite characters. Simon had no idea what he was doing in such a place, nor that hide-and-seek was an official sport. "'Can I help you?' came a small, snooty voice. Simon looked back towards the sign-in table and saw a short man in a very convincing dwarf costume. He was staring up at Simon with judging eyes and a stern, confused expression of distaste. I'm here for the... Well, I, uh... I'm not sure if... Spit it out! The dwarf man snapped. I got this invitation. Simon handed him the card he received in the mail the day before. 
It was an odd card that had no return address, no stamp, and it only had his name written on the front with a phrase underneath that read, If the addressee is currently hidden or unlikely to be found before the morrow, please burn this card post-haste. Inside the card read, Good on you, Master of the Unseen. You have shown your worthiness of the triennial hide-and-seek championship of champions. Bring this card to the arena on 5th and Harding, tomorrow, the 21st of September. Good luck, Simon Hanford. The dwarf looked back up at Simon, his face even more contorted from confusion than before. Simon Hanford? I've never heard of Simon Hanford. Where are you from? London? Oz? Narnia? Narnia? What are you talking about? Before you could finish, a man with a refined appearance came over to the table. Ah, Mr. Hanford. I'm so pleased you received my invitation. His voice was smooth, articulate, and British. He looked like a butler directly out of a movie. He was well-groomed with glasses, a tailored suit with coattails, a perfect bow tie, and such expertly polished shoes that Simon could see his reflection in them. The name's Alfred Pennyworth, Mr. Hanford. Welcome to the hide-and-seek championship. The ultimate game of cat and mouse the world has ever seen, or, er, not seen, is more fitting. I will take it from here, Master Grumpy. Simon looked back at the small man behind the table, expecting him to throw a fit at the insult, but instead, he responded with a bow and a, Thank you, Alfred. He was getting on my nerves anyway. And with one last glare in Simon's direction, he disappeared into a crowd of people dressed like stormtroopers. Don't mind, good old Mr. Grumpy, said Alfred. He's just not used to having people like you here. What do you mean, people like me? Where am I? Who are you, and why didn't that guy yell at you for calling him Grumpy? Alfred looked at Simon intently, as if trying to sum him up. He had very kind eyes, and though he was quite thin and dressed as a butler, for some reason, Simon felt certain that he could easily handle himself in a quarrel. You really have no idea, do you? And without waiting for a reply, Alfred took Simon by the arm and led him through the crowd. You live in a world full of stories about fairy tales and parables, heroes and villains, action and adventure, and you're quite content in existing in the notion that these things are all products of fiction and fantasy. Well, Mr. Hanford, I'm here to tell you, Fiction is a matter of perspective. The two continued through the center of the Great Hall, passing booth after booth of characters Simon recognized from various realms of entertainment. Superheroes, Grimm's fairy tales, Middle-earth, hundreds of cosplayers in ridiculously accurate costumes, all talking in accents to match their characters' personas. Alfred guided Simon away from the main hall and led him into an elevator that was already open, as if it were waiting for them to enter. As soon as they were in, the door shut and the elevator rose without any buttons being pressed. What if I told you that you already know me, not from a prior encounter, but from books, television, and movies? Alfred looked at Simon with wide eyes and a small smirk, trying to mentally force the answer into his brain. You mean to tell me you're that Alfred? The infamous butler and guardian to Bruce Wayne? The but- Alfred put his hand up to stop Simon. Aha, yes, Mr. Hanford. I'm the butler to the infamous Master Wayne, the billionaire. Alfred winked and put a finger to his lips. I see to Master Wayne's estate and cook him meals. Simon stared at Alfred, waiting for him to crack and let on that he was messing with him, but the man stuck to his story as he continued. As I was saying, the world around you is much bigger than what you think you know. We live among you, the characters in your favorite stories, and we're very real. You haven't noticed, because you believe the storytellers have created us in their minds, as well as the worlds we reside in. But the truth is, those storytellers are actually historians and biographers. They write from experience and about the people they grew up with or studied. Simon was so befuddled that he didn't notice that the elevator had been stopped for a while and the doors were wide open. I know this is a lot for you to take in, but long ago, a great man from a place you've no doubt read about in a book 
realized that there were some among him who were blind to circumstances and others around them, even to the point where they couldn't see people or places. It's as if their brains weren't able to process all that was around them. So, this man decided to write about those things unseen, and he started telling his stories to the very people who couldn't see what he saw, and he found it to be quite profitable, so much so that others from different regions did the same for their homes, and so on. The longer time went on, the number of people who couldn't see our reality grew and grew until there were far more who couldn't see than those who could. Simon's expression went from one of confusion to that of complete disbelief. His mouth was slightly ajar and one of his eyebrows was raised, making it clear to Alfred his skepticism. You're either very creative or completely insane. In any case, I should be going. I clearly don't belong here. In time, you will see that I speak the truth. But for now, let's get to the real reason why I asked you here to play an epic game of hide-and-seek. In the process, your eyes will be opened. Alfred walked out of the elevator without another word. Simon regarded his options, and just when he was leaning towards ditching the old man, he noticed for the first time that the elevator had no buttons, no way to tell it where to go. Perfect, he said aloud to himself, and with a deep exhale, he stepped out of the elevator and found himself in what felt like a closet. The narrow room was too small to be anything but a place to stand in, and it seemed far smaller than the opening of the elevator which had now closed on its own, leaving Simon in what most accurately could be specified as a coffin. The room had no light and no windows. Simon frantically felt for a doorknob or handle, anything that could let him out. He started banging on the walls. Hey, let me out of here, old man. I didn't sign up for this. In between the pounding on the walls and the yelling, Simon could swear he heard voices. It started as muffled grumbling and became more pronounced as he pressed his ear on the wall. He couldn't make out what was being said, but it sounded like a strong male voice, followed by cheers and laughs. Was this junior high all over again? Stop it! Let me out of here now! That's when the strong voice became clear and amplified as if from a megaphone. Simon Hanford! And with that, all four walls surrounding Simon fell to the floor. Lights flooded his eyes, temporarily blinding him. Simon put his hands in front of his face to try to block the rays, and he slowly opened his eyes to a squint. He still couldn't see much more than light, but he knew the room he was in now was much larger than the tiny box that held him captive. He started to make out more voices, several hundred voices, all speaking and cheering and laughing, and as his eyes adjusted, he could see his estimations were quite low. There were thousands of people in stadium seating surrounding a massive arena where Simon stood in the middle on a platform, stories above the floor. Before he could stumble from shock and fall to his death, a hand rested on his shoulder holding him upright. Here he is, friends, Simon Hanford, the first boy from the others, worthy enough to join our world and compete in this game. Simon recognized the voice as the strong one he heard from the box. He looked up to see another old man, but this one looked even more familiar than the first. He had a long, white beard with matching white hair, bright, white robes, eyes that looked like they held all the knowledge of every universe, and a staff that he was using as a microphone to somehow amplify his smooth, commanding voice. It was the most convincing and well-constructed Gandalf the White that Simon had ever seen. It was an even better representation than the one in the trilogy. And that wraps up the introductions of this year's hiders. Now for the Seekers. The lights went out and the crowd erupted as fireworks and flames shot from everywhere. People were going nuts, waving flags and banners, spinning weird devices that made sound, shooting balls of light from what looked like wands. Simon couldn't believe the level of quality in the spectacle before him. He looked around for the other hiders, but couldn't see anyone other than the guy dressed as the wizard on the platform. But as he scanned the arena, he started to see new platforms rise in the shadows, each with a figure standing on top. 
Here they are, the ones who will be hunting down our contenders as they do their best to camouflage themselves and are magically designed and never before seen by anyone stage the hidden city. Firstly, the infamous consulting detective, Sherlock Holmes. A spotlight shone on the first platform, illuminating a man in a long trench coat, a deer stalker cat, and sporting a lit tobacco pipe. Secondly, one of the greatest bounty hunters in the galaxy, Boba Fett. The next spotlight poured over another perfect cosplay. The man looked exactly like the bounty hunter from Star Wars, Sands Blaster, but with the very same jetpack that the character used to fly around chasing Han Solo. Simon was starting to feel the story the old man was feeding him wasn't as far-fetched as he thought. No, Simon, don't be stupid, Simon said aloud to himself. It's just an extremely elaborate show. Yeah, that's it. There's probably a film crew down there taking cues from someone like Spielberg or Cameron. The wizard continued. Thirdly, my great friend and ally, Aragorn, the ranger king of Middle-earth. The level of cheering and hollering grew exponentially. It was deafening. Gandalf waited until the excitement lowered before lifting a hand to calm the yelling down to his silence so he could announce the final seeker. And lastly, a man who has found more hiders than any other, one of the greatest detectives in any realm, the Dark Knight himself. A spotlight shone over the final platform which stood empty. The crowd that was screaming became silent in disappointment as confusion to where the final seeker may be. But a sudden explosion from above shattered the silence, and a large figure descended from above. A massive bat-like figure glided from overhead, gracefully flying through the air, and landed slowly on the platform like he did in every movie and comic book that Simon had ever seen with the caped crusader. Simon gasped. Holy crap! It's Batman! The crowd went insane. And that was my submission for the writing prompt. I hope you enjoyed it. I I liked coming up with it, and uh, I, I can't wait to, to move on with it as well. Um, add more and change it around. You know, giving Simon more of a backstory probably at the at the beginning, and maybe even have him in the in the process of playing hide and seek, and you know, all of a sudden an owl drops a, a letter on his lap. You know, to keep up with the whole fan fiction thing. Change the whole Alfred thing, which, by the way, um, I know my accent was really bad. So no need to leave a comment. I get it. But I think Alfred is going to be a great, like, life coach for Simon, you know, or guide throughout this thing. And I'll bring him back in there just to, you know, give Simon some hints. And, you know, since he, since he knows Batman so well, give him some pointers of how to evade him. I like the concept of all these fictional characters actually being real, but forgotten, as if people stopped believing. Sort of like when a child believes in Santa, and then, you know, as they grow older, that belief fades. It'll be a lot of fun, uh, both to write and hopefully to read. Well, it's four o'clock in the morning. I've been up for a couple hours now, and uh, of course now I'm starting to get tired. But I wanted to get this out. And it was on my mind. As soon as I woke up, I was like, oh, podcast. Should be the last episode before Christmas, I believe. I don't think I'll be able to get another one out beforehand. So, uh, Merry Christmas. I'm sure I'll get another episode out before the new year. Roughly 15,000 people every Christmas season end up going to the hospital 
because of decorations. It doesn't mean that decorations are coming out and killing people or harming them. It means people who are decorating outside, putting lights up and you know things on the roof and stuff like that, end up having accidents and you know either fall off the roof or get electrocuted and have to go to the hospital. 15,000 people. I put my lights up earlier this year because it was unseasonably warm one weekend. And I was like, well, I'd rather do it when it's 60 degrees than when it's 20. So I was I was happy to get that out of the way. And I didn't do any climbing, really. Well, I was playing in a tree, but it wasn't that high. But I, I did hit my head a lot. I got scratched. Nothing serious, though. Nothing that warranted going to the hospital. And then, thankfully, I wasn't on the ladder. Oh, no, I was on a ladder. But I wasn't on the roof. So... There you go. Speaking of injuries, I've had quite a few over the years. Uh, when I was one or two, I think one. I don't think I was wa- Yeah, I wasn't walking yet. So I'm, it might have been even before I was one. Because I, I, I think I started walking early. And apparently I was like pushing myself on my... I was on my back. I was pushing myself with my legs backwards. And I went into uh, the corner of a table. And drew blood like I had to get stitches and years later uh, while I was holding the ladder for my father while he was cutting limbs on we had several trees in our yard and you know some of the the branches didn't look good and instead of having them fall on somebody you know during a storm or something my father you know said he'll just take care of it then and had me hold the ladder and I remember him saying keep a lookout and almost immediately after he said that I got hit in the head with a a, a limb, <laughs> a limb that he was cutting to try to keep it from falling on somebody. It didn't work. And I had to go to the hospital and get stitches. Another time I went to the hospital was because I was eating popcorn. And we had a, at that time we had a, what was it? We had some kind of spaniel. And I was throwing popcorn up in the air and catching it in my mouth. One time I threw it up. And as it was going to my mouth, the dog leapt for it and got, he got it. He, he won, but he also got my lip and, and pierced right through it. <laughs> and, and so I had a hole in my lip and my mom had to take me to the, the emergency room. And they took so long to see me that it actually sealed up before I even got into the room. And they're like, oh, you're good. That's how long it took for them to see me. But I, I had a hole, like you could actually see. And I, I think I have still a scar. Uh, another time... I was, you know, I was in martial arts my whole life, like since I was seven years old. And when I became a teenager, I had a problem with my ankles. My ankles, I would sprain them so many times. I'd twist them. I would, they would go sideways. It, it was awful. Sometimes to the point where it's just like, I had braces on. Um, never had crutches though. Never had to use crutches. And there was one time in particular I remember it was uh, surprisingly bad. I was leaving to go somewhere and rolled my ankle and fell to the ground. Like, it was enough to, like, make me fall. And I got up. My instinct was to just get up right away. And I got up, and then the other ankle rolled. So I had two ankles that were just, like, destroyed. And so I had to hobble. I actually, I I crawled back into the house. I couldn't couldn't go wherever we were going to go at that time. And uh, that was fun. Yeah. But so many times I had I had rolled my ankle running. I remember running um, out of a restaurant when it was raining and like a new blacktop on this, in this parking lot 
It was a little slippery, and I, I rolled my ankle then. I've broken both my big toes several times, and most of my fingers. Never my thumbs, which is, you know, thankfully, I, I found that not having a couple fingers was probably nowhere near as painful, or nowhere near as detrimental to daily activities than, you know, breaking a thumb. But so many times I would have to tape my fingers together, fracture my wrists, bruised ribs, fractured ribs, which actually were very painful. And, um, of course, the accident, I had broken jaw and broken clavicle at the same time. I've hit my head many times, or I've, I've had it hit. I don't, I don't hit my head. There was one time I was visiting New York, uh, or my family was visiting New York while we were living in Nebraska. I think I was 15, yeah, because I, I, I believe it was either freshman or sophomore year the summer before that it had to be sophomore the summer before sophomore year we were in new york and i borrowed my aunt's bike because she had some mountain bikes and i was just riding around the neighborhood it was the old neighborhood we we grew up in there's a lot of dead end areas so it was you know safer to to ride around plus everybody in the neighborhood knew us so riding the bike and i remember at the time, I was, like, hopping up curbs and, and stuff like that, even on a mountain bike. It was just, you know, I was a kid. And I was going from the street onto the sidewalk, and I, I you know, ramped up, like, the little the little lip of the, the sidewalk, you know, where there's a little bump, and you get to, you know, try to get air. You know, what was I going to get, like, an inch or two? And as I hit the bump, the front wheel pops off. And it was like slow motion. I saw the wheel go above my head and I'm watching it. And then my face smacked into the concrete and knocked me out. <laughs> um, thankfully, it was in a dead end where this nurse happened to live. And she saw the whole thing happen. And she came out and she knew my family. So she called them and had them, you know, come get me. It was just right, right around the block. So it wasn't like they had to go far. They didn't have to bring a car or anything. And... I remember vividly, even though I had just got out of, you know, being knocked out, I remember the nurse saying, make sure he doesn't fall asleep because he could slip into a coma because I'm pretty sure he had a concussion. Why she didn't say you should probably go to the hospital and make sure he's okay, I don't know. But my parents were warned not to let me go to sleep. So we go back to the house. They sit me in a chair. It's, it's like one of those Queen Anne chairs. Uh, that my grandmother had and I'm sitting there people had the tv on so you know to keep me entertained and within five minutes the tv's off and everyone leaves I don't know where they went but no one's in the room no one's talking to me no one's you know making sure everything's all right and the whole time I'm like don't fall asleep don't fall asleep <laughs> I just like picture being in a coma and I, I fell asleep so that was cool didn't end up in a coma, but the fact that I had to, you know, I was in so much fear of being in a coma and everyone just like went to do something else and didn't even, no one, I don't think I even had an ice pack. No one took me to the hospital. No one checked on me. Whatever. <laughs> just, so those are some injuries that I've had over the years. When I started school that, that year, I was in an art class and they, the, one of the assignments was to draw or I think it was draw, yeah, it was draw or create something representing something you did over the summer. 
And for me, I, I drew my head on a spike. And the spike came up where the gash was on my head. I had a gash. There was a gash on my head. And it went from the my hairline down over my eye and across my nose. Like, it was long. It wasn't deep, thankfully. But it was... It was long. It was like the, the Harry Potter Thunderbolt, but across my face. It was nice. So I drew my head on a spike. My, 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 the spike, the tip of the spike came out the top of my head where the, the main part of the scar was. And I, I think my head was, I drew it purple and, and blue and sad face. That was, that wasn't dark at all. And, um, good thing about having that. So after, after that happened, we went to the beach like the day after or two days later and it had already started to, it scabbed over. And I went into the ocean and played all day in the ocean because that's what I did. Whenever we went to the beach, I was just in the water the entire time. And it actually like practically healed my, my head. Like the scab was away and it like, you know, the healing effects of the salt water actually helped. And I think that's why, I, I can't say for sure, but I think that's why I don't have like a massive scar now. Like, you wouldn't even know where it was. You can't see it. I can tell where it is, but you really don't know. There's a line, little line on my nose where part of it was. But, um, yeah, you really can't tell. So, yeah, if you get maimed or lose a limb, go into the ocean. It'll be better. I think that's enough for now. Thank you for listening to No Green Eggs and Ham. Editing is by Yobino Consulting in Glencove, New York. Producers for the show are me, myself, and I. The theme song is written and performed by Donnie Ronaldo. On a guitar that I gave him. Because I don't know how to play. If you reach this far in the show, Please take an additional few seconds to leave us a review on whatever app you're using to listen to us ramble on about nothing and share the podcast with your friends. See you, not see you, next time.